If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It's a passage that we looked at a few weeks ago, um, but we looked at it in the Gospel of Mark, and we're just going to come back to it. We looked at it at Palm Sunday. Uh, the last three um, weeks, we had Palm Sunday, uh, Easter, and then this Sunday, and then next week we'll start a series, a new series, um, through a book in the Old Testament. But before I read that, I just want to thank the church. Uh, we, it was um, yesterday we had the, the funeral for Mary, and I, I said I've said this in the past, but it's been a while because of COVID we weren't able to do this. But um, I would I just want to thank the church. This we die well out here, and what I mean by that is when someone dies, um, this church has always just stepped up, and people came in and they'd help and serve and get things ready. So it's always um, just greatly appreciated. So thanks for all those who. Uh, um, did that and helped uh, help out this past past weekend. Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for what we've been celebrating this month, just Holy Week, the resurrection last week, and then what you left because of that in the church. And Lord, I thanks for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that this morning you would just be with those who are just in grief. I pray you would just give them grace and comfort, just encourage them. Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would teach us from your word. And encourage us, pray should be with Joe and Adrian Palladino as they are just remembering his brother today at the service. I pray should just give them grace and peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He is risen. So be excited about the church. That's what Easter, the resurrection, and that's what should it always lead to. A few weeks ago, a mom of one of the kids' own uh, kids, he, he was, was, was walking in with their family into church, and their, one of their kids turned around and said to them, I just love church. I never want to leave. You remember that feeling? That, that, that's the feeling of that what we are called to. I just love church. I don't ever want to leave. I, I remember those feelings as kids. You just, the, the, it could be the excitement of who you're going to see, what, you, who you're, you're gonna, what you're gonna hear, but there's this attitude, I just love church. I don't ever want to leave. But the truth is Christians grow, we get become into adults, but church is the means in which we Grow. Eugene Peterson, in his book on Ephesians, which he called The Practice of Resurrection, he says this, church, he starts it out, church is the textured context in which we grow up in Christ to maturity. But church is difficult. 
Sooner or later, though, if we are serious about growing up in Christ, we have to deal with the church. I say sooner. I want to begin with church. Many Christians find church to be the most difficult aspect of being a Christian, and many drop out. There may be more Christians who don't go to church or go only occasionally than who embrace it, warts and all. And there are certainly plenty of warts. It's not easier for pastors. The attrition rate among pastors leaving their congregations is alarming. So why church? The short answer is because the Holy Spirit formed it to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Church is the core element and the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of this world. And he wrote that 20 years ago, before pandemics took over and messed and was dealing with things. What's the church? The church definition, the church as the New Testament describes the church in various ways. It's a local assembly of baptized believers in Jesus Christ who meet regularly for instruction in the word, fellowship, and prayer. It's a family, a household that displays and protects the truth and a holy temple founded on Christ and indwelt by God's spirit. God has designed the church of Jesus Christ to display his manifold wisdom and resound the praise of of his glory. Somebody else said the church is the regenerate people of God, saved by the power of God for the purposes of God in this world. And all through the New Testament, the, the, the New Testament tries to describe with different metaphors what, what this church is, this, this group of people. It's uh, described as family. The Bible, the New Testament describes it as the bride of Christ. It describes it as branches on a vine, the, the body, the whole body of Christ. Peter, when he was walking with Jesus, he's, Jesus took his disciples, he, he knew what was coming, he took him up into Caesarea Philippi, a place very anti-God, doing their own thing. They're wandering around, Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter, Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, on that profession, and on you, I believe, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it it's a it's that's how the church began the church is not though some afterthought in response to man's fall in the garden dustin bing says it's quite the contrary the church is the focused domain where all god's presence promises and purposes are unveiled and eternally realized I mean, there's no doubt in America that the church needs to be revived or revitalized. The amount of people who are coming in is less than half on a Sunday to gather together. It, it, it is a, uh, there, there needs to be this growth, and there's all kinds of problems we know and you can see in the church, but this morning, as we get ready just to talk about the church in a few minutes as a, biz, as, a, as, a, as a corporate group together, I just want to encourage us with the church. And just this morning, maybe I'll again awaken our affections for the church by just reminding us of three things. One, Jesus loves the church. Jesus labors through the church. And Jesus leads by 
the church. After Jesus went to the cross, he rose from the, ga- the grave, this amazing resurrection, which we all celebrated last week, and it was, uh, it was wonderful, and it's exciting, and then he spends time for, on earth for 40 days, and, and he meets, sees people, 500 people see him, and he, he leaves. What does he leave? He, he leaves the church, and Jesus loves the church. He tells Peter, I will. He says, I will, I, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. The, the, the church is the bride of Christ. That's how, that's how the Bible describes the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, it it's, gets used all the times in weddings, in church weddings. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the, the word. The, the, the picture that every most weddings, Christian weddings, that they use this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is how, this is what Christ loves. He, he loves the church. In Song, Song of Solomon 1, verse 15, it says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. These are the words of Christ when Commentator said, these are the words of Christ commenting on the beauty of the church, expressing his great affection for her and his high esteem for her and for her fairness and for his beauty. This is how Jesus looks at the church. He looks at it like this beautiful bride. He he loves you. He, He loves the church. He says, I will. A husband stands before his wife, before a congregation, and they say, will you take this woman and, and the man would say, uh, he says, I will. He takes all of her. And him, she takes all of him. Every, every part about it. But for Christ, there's, there's a book called When Sinners Say I Do. And I've given it to people and I've done marriage counseling and to encourage them to read it. To say this is what marriage is. It's two sinners coming together and saying, I do to each other. When Christ looks at the church, it's just one sinner coming to him. Christ is, it's, it's, it's the Son of God, God himself, looking at people filled with sin and saying, you know what, I will. I'll take you and that, that's, you are who I love. Jesus looks at the church through the lens of, the cross. He, he looks at it all through last week, everything about the resurrection, the Good Friday to the resurrection. It was all for this purpose. It was to, this is how he looked at the, the church. Jesus is absolutely passionate for his church. Someone asked, what, what is the church really? The church really is a bunch of broken people who were nearly drowned in their sin. And they're now lying on their backs, smiling, inhaling the grace of God and the gospel. That's the church. If you are in Christ, if you saw what the resurrection was like last week, if you've trusted in that, and you are, you are, you are put into this body of Christ, and then throughout the world God has put little local groups of those people together, and really what it is is just a bunch of broken people who were nearly drowned in their sin. And now they're just receiving the grace of God. We're receiving this, inhaling the grace of God because Jesus loves 
His church, he's never going to let it go away. This is what he calls us to. Everything that he says in the scriptures for us to do for each other, Jesus is doing that for us. There are over 50 passages in the New Testament that say one another. Do this for one another. Love each other. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Live in harmony with one another. Forgive one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Do not speak evil against one another. Show hospitality to one another. Pray for one another. And there's 40 others where Jesus says, this is what he's calling the church to do for each other because this is what Jesus does for us. He loves us in all your brokenness, all your pain of this past week, all your struggles, all your frustrations, all your hurts. Jesus just looks at you as the church and he says, I love you. There's people who have seen some accident, something take place, and and, and no one wants to claim that that's their child. Some massive scene has gone really bad and everybody's walking away. Jesus always looks at that scene when it comes to the church and he says, yeah, that's mine. He doesn't turn his back on it. He doesn't run away from it. He goes and he looks at his church and he says, they're my people. That's mine. I love them. And then he calls us to love one another in the process. Jesus loves the church. And he calls us to love the church as well. Not only does Jesus love the church, Jesus labors through the church. He told Peter, I'm an, I will build my church. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, who hated the church, when, when he first heard about the resurrection and who Jesus was, he didn't believe. He'd read the Bible in the Old Testament. He'd, he'd heard he was looking for the Messiah. He absolutely hated the church. And he would try and did everything he could to destroy the church that Jesus left. This was his goal in life. And he was very good at it for a very long time. And then he met Jesus. And he became a part of the church. And he realized Jesus loves the church. And Paul says in this in Ephesians chapter 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the the Spirit." Jesus loves the church, and because of his love for the church, it's Jesus who labors through the church by by building his church. And Jesus says, I will build my church. How does Jesus build the church? how, How does he do this? He does it the way he's always done it, even with the disciples. He he gathers a people to himself. He calls people to himself. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you are trusting in Christ alone. It's not because you were smarter than somebody else. It wasn't because you heard the, 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 the sermon or the, your friend shared the gospel to you so well that you would just recognize that this is much better than all the other alternatives there are. That's not how you came into the faith. It was Jesus who, through the Spirit, 
called you. He gathers his people. He, he, he calls us into the church. That's why Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus says to, the, to him, uh, you must be born again. And Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. How, how can that even happen? How can a man be born a second time? And Jesus says, the, the wind blows where it wants to go. You don't see how the wind goes. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, this is how it goes. The, the, the gospel goes out. Some people hear it. The Holy Spirit wakes that person up. They respond to the truth. They, they see the, the resurrection. They see Jesus for who he is. They see their sin for, for what it is. They repent. And it's the God who's gathering people in. God gathered you. God loved you so much that he called you to himself. There was recently... Uh, I was talking to an individual in our church who, um, who was, had this happen to him. They, they would read the Bible. They would study the Bible. They would come to church. They, they wanted to believe. They saw some good rationale for it. They thought it was good. They, they enjoyed even Christian people at times. They, they could see the benefits. But then all of a sudden... They, they came to a moment of just crisis in life, and they'd heard it all. And it just, many times they'd come to crisis, and they'd try, and it wasn't quite working. But this time, they'd come to a crisis situation, and all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it was, they were awakened. And they were describing it to me, and, it was, and they said it was, like, it was like, it was almost like I was asleep, and then I came out of a sleep. I could see things from the Bible that I never could see, see before. That's not something you could do on your own. That's something that the Holy Spirit woke up and wakes up in people. We, 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 Jesus builds the church. He labors through to build the church. He gathers people to himself, and then he grows people through his word, and then he sends people out to go and keep that cycle going, gathering, growing and building people. This is what he did in Mark chapter 3. It's what he says in Matthew 28. It's what Luke 24 and John 20. This is the book of Acts. Yesterday, a guy came into the church, and he was, I was setting up for the funeral, and walks around the corner, and he says, anybody do counseling around here? And I told him I was the pastor, and I said I could talk to him for a few minutes, so we started to talk. And he's sharing me part of his story. And he's a believer. And I said to him, how did you become a Christian? And he goes, well, about 30 years ago, he was, I was at work. And the worst guy in the whole shop, the, the, the worst worker, the worst guy, so all of a sudden everything changed. He came to work, he was happier, he, he was doing his job better, he was, just everything changed, and he was totally different. So I walked up to him and I said, what's up? What happened? And he said to me, Jesus. And through the testimony of that guy at work, this guy became a Christian. That's how God gathers and builds the church. This is how Jesus labors through the church. This is what he's called you to. There's a program you want for 2022 for, for the church. This is the program. Go to work tomorrow. Go to your community. Do your job with such joy 
such passion, such encouragement, as unto the Lord, that people walk up to you and say, what's different? What's changed? And you can say to them, well, Jesus. Jesus. That's how God builds people up. He, he, he gathers them. He grows them. He sends other people out. And then those people receive them. And then they say, hey, come get together with us. Every Sunday we get together. We hear God's word. We pray. We encourage each other. And this is the cycle that God says. This is how God labors through the church. And Jesus says, if you do that, there will be persecution. There will be struggles. But Jesus at the end of Matthew 28 says, I will be with you to the end. This is how Jesus has always built the church. This is his goal, is that he he loves the church, he labors through the church, and then he leads the church. He told told him, I will, Peter, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a cosmic conflict, he's saying. I, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. How, how does Jesus lead by the church? This is, this is him talking about this big cosmic battle. It talks about which we looked at in Ephesians, uh, that, that the, 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 the armor of God goes, and we can, we can stand, and we can walk. Jesus leads, and he leads through the church, and he does it very securely. When, Pete, when Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to build my church, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew that in a few days he was headed to the cross to be killed, that all of these guys were going to look at him and say, this, is, this was a failure for us for the last three years. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that he was going to walk away. He knew all those things, and Jesus still looked at him and said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because Jesus leads by the church, and he does it very securely. Years ago, the, the atheist Voltaire, he, he, he boasted. He, he wrote, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. 50 years later, Voltaire's house in Geneva was being used by the Geneva Bible Society to store Bibles in it. And Voltaire was long gone. But Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. How, how does he do it? How does he lead the church? He does it very securely. He knows who he is. He knows what the truth is. And he knows that he does it very very securely. But he also does it very surprisingly. Jesus leads the church not by the way we think things should be done. We we, we think it has to be done through often things in our country with through power. And Jesus says, I'm going to totally flip it. He surprisingly leads the church through weakness. This is what he said in in, in Corinthians. It's, It's not through power. He says, people look at what the church is, people look at preaching, and they say it's foolishness. And it is. It's a foolishness. Someone opens their mouth, shares God's word, and it seems like foolishness, but it's not foolishness. It's through weakness that God leads the church, and he takes weak, ordinary people, 
And he calls them to be elders, and he calls them to be deacons, and he calls them to be in the congregation together, collectively. All around the world, ordinary little lives, filled with struggles, filled with obstacles. And he says, the way I want you to help further the kingdom of God is I want you to serve each other. Just keep serving. Just keep serving. Serve in the way that I called you. Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus leads the church by people saying, I'm going to see the church for what it is. It's, it is what Jesus left. This was his plan. These ordinary, mundane situations is his plan of how he's going to move the church. And it's people giving their lives and saying, I'll I'll serve that way. I'll serve in my weakness. Jesus does it very surprisingly. That's how he's always done it. But he also does it very successfully. Church brands will fail. Platforms will fall. Buildings will decay. Ministers and ministries will crumble. But the bride of Christ, the church, will persevere to the end. And Jesus said in Revelations 22, Behold, I am coming soon. His plan for the world which is what makes 1 Corinthians 15 so amazing. 1 Corinthians 15 is this amazing chapter of the resurrection. We, let it, we read it last week. It's, it's all about if, if the resurrection's not true, then none of this is true. Your faith is fatal, futile. There's nothing to it. It just talks about that, that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this big crescendo. And then right after that, this big resurrection, this miraculous sign, and right after that, it says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This unbelievable picture of resurrection, this amazing chapter, ends with mundane, miraculous mundane. People just saying, you know what? Jesus loves the church, so I'm going to love the church. Jesus loves people, so I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to live my life. Mundane may be on one day, exciting on the next. I'm going to tell people and show people Jesus, and I'm going to bring those people with me to, to worship together, to grow together. That's the picture of the church. That's the point of the resurrection, was to leave the church so that people can come to know Jesus. Jesus loves the church. He labors through the church. He leads through the church. So put Jesus first. Pray for the church. Participate in the church and persevere in it. Eric Alexander, an old Scottish preacher, said this, the most significant thing happening in history 
is the calling, redeeming, and perfecting of the people of God. God is building the church of Jesus Christ. The rest of history is simply a stage God erects for that purpose. He is calling out a people. He is perfecting them. He is changing them. There will come a day when God will pull down the scaffolding of world history. Do you know what he will be pointing to when he says to the whole creation? He'll say, there is my masterpiece. He will be pointing to the church of Jesus Christ. The church is such a wonder, so loved by Jesus, that the angels, the Bible says, they look and they long to be a part of it. They look in awe at what Jesus has done, at what his plan is. Put Jesus first, pray for the church, participate in it, and persevere. This is the point of the resurrection, us furthering the kingdom of God, weak, fragile, frail people, ordinarily living our lives for the glory of God to see people come to faith and become and come into the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.